0: Good morning. For me, don't know what time of day it is for you, but I hope you are well. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. We are in the middle of a podcast series called Jesus Don't Take the Wheel. (laughs) It's about God's sovereignty in light of human agency or human free will, we could say. Uh, Though we're in the middle of a discussion concerning whether or not we even have free will. Uh, So the first episode was The Road We're On The second episode is called The Chains We're In Hey guys, this is a Construction Monk podcast I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori And before we get into the episode, I'll remind you You can check out more things that I'm doing By googling Jay Randall Ori Or The Construction Monk I have a YouTube channel I'll be releasing some books Which I was supposed to release like six months ago But I've just decided they needed more work I'm actually working on four books simultaneously. Crazy! Anyway, hey guys, thanks for joining me. Let's go ahead and get into the episode. Okay, so we're going to continue to kind of straddle these two main sources in our discussion. Scripture and St. Augustine, who wrote this book in the 4th century which i said was the 3rd century. I, this is just something i do, guys. When i see the 300s, i think 3rd century. It's just a it's a i don't know what it is, but so Augustine lived in the 4th century and wrote in the 4th century towards the end of the 4th century. He wrote this book called <clears throat> um i got to look it up. But anyway, i tend to do that. I tend to um you know, it's like three and four, right? The three hundreds is the fourth century. Anyway, let's go back to my notes on Saint Augustine and his book Di Libero Arbitrio Voluntatis on Free Choice of the Will. <laughs> right? There was three books he wrote over a period of, you know, roughly eight years. There's three volumes, right? The first was in three eighty-eight, the second was in three ninety one, the third was in three ninety-five, right? And so Again, Augustine, just to refresh your memory, Augustine, he's a Greek philosopher. He was a pagan, really. That's what he would have called himself. He was a pagan. But, you know, he had all these... He had, he had exposure to different ideas from different religions. Manichaeism, and Pelagianism is another... That was more of a Christian idea doctrine about free, human free will and accountability. But, like, he was aware of... As a philosopher, aware of the philosophies of religions, right, because religions have philosophy embedded in them. Philosophy is just the attempt to answer certain questions about reality. Where did we come from? Where are we going? What is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? This is philosophy. He was a philosopher. Then he was a philosopher who became a Christian, right? And as a Christian, he began to apply his philosophical training in rhetoric to Christianity, This was the birth and the beginning of Christian scholasticism and Christian theology. It was the blending of Greek philosophy and Christian truth. So Augustine, he had before him scripture, but he coupled that with his training in logic, Greek logic, Greek rhetoric, Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy said, how can we logically present truths in a way that makes sense, in a way that can make sense to as many people as possible, right? Right? So, Augustine is coupling these two things, reason and revelation. This is what became known as the faith reason synthesis. This is important because as he's trying to go through and discuss sin, salvation, free will, God's wrath, right? Like, this is where he's coming from. He's not just coming from what Scripture says and what tradition built around Scripture says. He's coming from Greek philosophy Greek philosophy is a way of trying to frame truths in a logical way through logical reason. He's blending reason and revelation. This is the first time. Out of that comes theology. So he's like kind of one of the first Christian theologians, right? There were those. There were writers before him. <clears throat> um, people, you know, second, third. I mean, Paul is considered kind of the first Christian theologian in many ways because he was trained in Jewish theology, but. Primarily, most theologians before Saint Augustine were jumping from two sources: Scripture and interpretations of Scripture, or what we would call tradition. August, excuse me, Augustine introduces this third thing: Greek reason, Greek logic, philosophy. So he's, that's where he's coming from. So as we're looking through and reading through, keep that in mind. So we're going to start with a song before I jump back into Augustine so I did that little preface on Augustine but right every episode is going to center around a song today's song is by Katy Perry <laughs> okay we're going all right we're gonna glean some theology from Katy Perry her song chained to the rhythm which is where I got the title for this podcast the chains were in right she wrote the song and released it in 2017 it was a part of her album <clears throat> called witness now I, really, I remember hearing the song on the radio, like I heard it, I don't know, later than 2017, but like first time I heard it, it gripped me and I really felt the spirit speaking to me. I don't know what it was. There was just this energy in the song that was like, mm. I felt like it was really saying something true about human experience and reality. Here's some of the lyrics. Are we crazy living our lives through a lens trapped in our white picket fence like ornaments? So comfortable, we're living in a bubble, a bubble. So comfortable, we cannot see the trouble, the trouble. Aren't you lonely up there in utopia where nothing will ever be enough, happily numb? So comfortable. Put your rose-colored glasses on and party on. And then the main chorus is, yeah, we think we're free. Ha, drink, this one's on me. We're all chained to the rhythm, to the rhythm, to the rhythm. We're all chained to the rhythm. Man, there's, I think there's some deep truth in the song. I don't think Katy Perry was trying to put forth Christian theology or philosophy or truth. But man, like she's talking, like this album Witness was kind of meant to be a more political uh, type album. She was trying to make statements on society and social unrest and social injustice, right? But I think she's pointing to something deep-seated in our culture, which is, man, sometimes we're just so mindless in our day-to-day lives. We're doing things, there's impulses driving us, and we're not even aware of them. We think, like, we think we're rational, and rationality drives us, and we're thinking through decisions, and we're making calculated decisions, and educated decisions, and rational decisions, but actually, you know, based on current science, and the understanding of human psychology, behavior, and biology, it's becoming more and more clear that we're driven by our limbic system, not our cerebral cortex Um, I defer to smarter people and people like Elon Musk I've heard him talk of course because he's trying to develop Neuralink so he's done a lot of research on how the brain works right and how the brain brain you know what 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 function the brain has and so he says the cerebral cortex is like a computer chip but it's not driving us we're not rational we're not driven by the rational we're driven like 80% by our limbic system which is impulse which is I feel this and I feel this drive Like the body, the limbic system is more, you could say, um, hormones. It's this felt sense of things. It's more intuitive. It's less clear. But it's like we feel these impulses and we're driven more by impulse than rationality. That's just true on a biological, neurological, sociological level. And so like what Musk and Perry are both saying is we're often driven by things we can't understand and can't control. Ooh, how does that line up with Augustine and free will? Let's go to Augustine. And, uh, like, so I started with book one, right? And at the end, towards the end of book one, he establishes this other interesting idea, or he puts forth this other interesting idea. He kind of, I think he makes a misstep here. He says that, like, a person's inner life is can be governed by two different things reason or emotion and he says that emotion will drive us towards sin if we give into our emotions our impulses our drives our more physical fleshly drives that's going to drive us towards sin we're just following what gratifies us but he says the reason can overthrow that impulse so he makes this interesting dichotomy he basically says (laughs) this is this is funny people because He's trying, to, he's trying to debunk Gnosticism and Manichaeism, right? Which is to really say the flesh and the physical are bad and the spiritual is good and we just need to get rid of the flesh and get out of the world. But at the same time, he kind of says the base impulse desires of the flesh, of the physical are just bad and we need, to just get, we need to just squelch them completely, cut them off, and we need to go to the reason. And the reason is our salvation. If we can just be logical and rational enough and really think through and know God's truths, that's how we get out of the sin thing, and that's how we exercise our free will, right? Because he's already said, it's not fair for God to punish us if we don't have free will. So he's kind of said there has to be free will, or God has no right to punish us, which, again, that's not necessarily true, but he's, he started with that first premise, and this is what philosophy does. It, it states a grounding premise, and then it says, if that's true, then this must also be true. If we have free will, meaning we can choose God or not, meaning there is, we, meaning we live in this space where We're free from the things that might push us one way or another, and we have the ability to choose God or not. So we do have free will. So from there, he then says, if we have free will, what's the problem? Because we don't always seem free to choose. And he says, oh, it must be that we are too emotional and we need to be more logical. So I want you to understand sometimes one false premise can lead to another. I remember in the first episode I tried to play with this idea do we really have free will or not? The Bible seems to say we have freedom of choice, but we're also oppressed by a system. What are the chains we're in? Well, well Augustine here says well we definitely have free will. But we still have a problem and that we're not obedient to God and we seem to be driven by things other than godly desires. So he's like, "Oh, his conclusion is what's well, the emotions?" It's our base desires, our impulses, and we need to become more rational. Well, guess what? This was Greek philosophy. Greek philosophy said, man, rationality is like a, is, is the thing. It was the bomb, and it's like this was the foundation of Greek culture, which bled into Roman culture, which bled into middle medieval culture, which found its ultimate expression in the last 300 years of Western culture. It's called the Age of Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, the last 300 years. That's what's happened. People often call it hyper-rationalism, but it's truly just the fullest expression of rationalism. Versus what? What's the opposite of rational revelation? What does that really mean? Well, there's two things that can drive us, right? In this paradigm of faith versus reason, the faith reason synthesis, remember I talked about that. Faith is we don't know what's going on. We can't save ourselves. God needs to come in and and reveal things through his spirit and guide us and actually empower us to live the right kind of life. Reason is, I have the ability to think through things and make good choices. Where did we get that idea from? (laughs) Do you know where I'm going? You know where we got that idea from? Knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Satan said, you can be like God apart from God. You can wield knowledge. You're smart enough. Satan invites us into our reason and says, you're smart enough, you can figure it out. You're logical, you're intellectual, you're rational. You can beat this impulse towards the bad by understanding what is good and bad and making decisions for yourself and thinking it through. And ooh, Satan offered up reason, logic, and knowledge to Adam and even said, wouldn't that be better than God leading you in truth and God telling you what's good? You can know what's good for yourself. You're able to use your rational thinking to make good choices that can lead you to good life—that was the lie. And here we have in Greek philosophy the seed of rationalism, saying, "Yeah, yeah, we can think." And then you have, you have Augustine then planting the seed of rationality into Christian thinking. Mm, interesting, isn't it? And so then he makes his conclusion at the end of Book One, saying, "Oh, if we're just more rational, less impulsive, less..." Emotive, less heart-driven, less desire-driven. That's the real problem. We have, like, we have the freedom to choose, but there's this, these baser desires. Well, that doesn't actually even make sense. We're caught up in things, and can we just think our way through emotions and actually outthink our emotions, or do they sometimes cloud our thinking even in, in our, on our best days, even? our best efforts, sometimes aren't we driven towards impulses that do seem to counteract our reason? Well, yeah, that's true. And so I think he's making some clear uh, assessments about our state. It seems like it's better to be calm and think things through. This was Stoicism. This was part of uh, Greek philosophy pre-Augustine, but you know, Stoics, where they had this idea that if you could calm the desires, think rationally, think things logically, think things through, you could like live a good life. Again, this is part of Greek philosophy, Stoicism. But like Augustine's setting out on this new path. He's trying to apply Greek philosophy to Christian truth. And he's saying, oh, we've got free will, which means we can choose God or not. And uh, it's just a matter of sometimes our base desires cloud our reason. But the Christian journey is putting to death our fleshly desires, our base desires, and becoming more logical. (laughs) Does that sound like the Christian journey? I don't think so. That's not what Scripture says. Well, what does Scripture say? It says, actually what it says is that we can't overcome the things that are overcoming us and that cloud our reason and our judgment. And we're not capable of being our own gods. We're not capable of handling truth, knowing what's good and evil on our own, apart from God, in a way that brings us to life. So actually, when we follow Greek logic purely and and try to apply that to Christian truth, what we're saying is, yeah, I can be my own God, and Satan was right. I can handle truth by myself, and I can figure it out for myself, and, you know, it's all in me. There's nothing outside of me too big for me to handle. Well, why Satan would offer that because if we believe that we don't need God directly to guide us into truth, and we don't need God to empower us to overcome the things against us, then we're done for. Then Satan can overpower us without us even knowing it, right? this is all this is crazy, right? So the chains we're in can sometimes be the things we believe about God. sin, salvation, and our ability to choose or not. The reality is we are under an oppressive system that we cannot get out of. That's why Jesus had to come. We couldn't figure it out. And then Paul even talks about the vain philosophy of men. And that they're darkened in their understanding. I'm mixing some scriptures together here, and I don't have these looked up. But he's, he basically paints this picture of human intellect, human understanding, and he says it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough to overcome the things against us because the things against us are the principalities of the kingdom of darkness. There are these powerful beings. And Hebrews says we were made lower than the angels, which means they have more power than us in the spiritual and spiritual reality. We weren't made to be able to combat spiritual principalities in our own strength, we need God. That's why the whole process of salvation is Jesus bringing us back to God, baptizing us in the Holy Spirit, giving us this new power to live life because we don't have the power to live this life in and of ourselves. But Greek philosophy mixed with Christian truth kind of says, as Augustine points to that, no, we really do have the power. It's just that we need to be more rational and less emotional. Man, ooh. But, but consider that this idea from Augustine, free will, The supremacy of rationality over emotion. These things have germinated in Christianity for 1700 years and they've just become the groundwork upon which we stand. And that's what I've talked about. Like we just think free will and the superiority of intellectualism are are the groundwork upon which our Christianity is founded. And that's how it works. You know, when we get things wrong and we feel like a Christian tradition has wrong truths, it's like, well, they just didn't think it through enough. And they just kind of fell into some error because they their thoughts, their their rational approach towards it. They weren't rational enough, and this is why we become more and more rational. Because it's like, oh, we weren't rational enough. If we become more rational, then what humanity will be better. I have a lot of conversations with humanists, naturalists, people that want to say it's just there's no God, there's no spirituality, you know. And they're like, well, we just need to be more rational. But we've be- we've been becoming more rational for the last two thousand years and more. Have we solved the world's problems by becoming smarter? by becoming more invested in our own ability to understand things and figure them out. well, We've made some technological improvements. We've we've been able to, you know, figure out how to overcome some diseases. But, like, the basic problem of human suffering remains the same in that we will want to do good, but we don't do the good we should do, which is what Paul says in Romans, right? Let's just, jump to some scripture so I don't go too, too long. Um, let's start... In First John. First John. This is a letter from John, same John that wrote Revelation and the Gospel of John. These things, uh, sorry, First John chapter five verse thirteen. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay. You who believe in the character of Jesus, who believe, who know the person of Jesus, is what he's saying, so that you may have eternal life, so that you know, you may know what brings true life, okay? And he says, verse 14, this is the confidence which we have before him, Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. So he's setting forth a paradigm here. He's like, We can have confidence to come before God when we come into God's presence. We have a relationship with God. We can ask anything according to God's will and we'll get it. Ooh, so what have I said before? When we ask God to do the things God wants to do, he will do it. So, what? There's a couple things entailed in this idea is that we have to know God enough to know his will and then we have to begin to start to ask God to do his will, which is weird, but what that's really doing is saying, Hey God, I want to align myself with your will. Like I'm not coming to you any longer saying I know what's good and you should do this and you should do that and just follow my lead God here and and, and things will be good because then we're letting our rationality and our our understanding lead. In reality we need to come to God's will. So we were created to live in concert with God, with God's will superior or to ours and, and us subservient to God's will. We were meant to be under God's will because God, only God has the power to lead us to good things. This is kind of what he's saying. And like when we ask God to do what God wants to do, he'll do it. But like the thing is not just us asking for God to do what he wants because God will always do what he wants, but it's us aligning ourselves with God with what God wants to do. And we, when we begin to step into God's reality and God's truth, then we're living according to what God said is, is good and we're subservient to his will and then we're no longer trying to figure out what's good or what's true or what's right. But we're being told. Again, this is a father instructing his children what to do, not children independent, having left the home, and going, I I can figure it out. I'm good. I'm smart. Okay, so he talks about sin and death, praying for people. He says there's sin leading to death. There's sin that doesn't lead to death. This is confusing, except he's, like he's talking about, again, about connection to God. The sin that leads to death is separation from God. When we're separated from God, we die. But if, if we're connected to God, but we're still kind of not perfected, We'll still do some things wrong, but the primary sin of disconnection is solved. Again, so this is about coming back into relationship with God. This is the centrality of what Jesus came to teach and do for us to bring us back to God. So so John, in these passages 16 through 17, he's just saying, hey, this is how it works. It's about connection to God. Again, it's about God being the central mover in your life now. And you will still do some things wrong because you're not fully reconnected. But if that one sin is solved, then then pray about the other lesser sins that... That come from a result of not being fully unified, but like, but he says, don't pray for a brother who's in the sin of disconnection. Don't pray that their lesser sins get resolved because those are manifesting the the big problem, the big sin, disconnection. So, in a sense, John's saying it's good that we suffer the consequences of disconnection with God, and we shouldn't want those symptoms to be alleviated because those are the symptoms that show us something's wrong. Oh, so what is he also saying? Is that our felt sense of experience in the world actually drives us to God. So emotion isn't bad. Emotion isn't wrong. We throw it out because that's sometimes the thing beyond our understanding that can lead us back to God. Like we may be smart and we have a, a philosophy towards life and we we're trying to play that out. But if we're separated from God, it's not enough. Well, then we can be experiencing bad things, but we, we are in our understanding, we're good. We know what's good and we're trying to do what's good, but what we're still failing. So we're suffering and we don't understand why, but when we come to God because of our suffering and we cry out to God, we call upon the name of the Lord, then we're saved. Then we're like, God, I don't understand what I, as Paul in Romans chapter seven, I'm not doing what I want. I know, like Paul, even Paul was like, I know what you want. I know what's good, but I can't do it. There's something else in me that keeps me. So Paul's crying out in the state too saying, Beyond my understanding, there is this impairment, this obstacle. I can't even say what it is, but I know there's something wrong with me, and I can't do anything about it, so I'm crying out to you, and that's where salvation comes. Crying out to Jesus, he comes in and saves us. He comes in and says, of course you can't do it. It's okay. I knew you couldn't do it. That's why I came. That's why I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Now let's learn to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians. So that was verse 16, verse 17, not verse 18, First John chapter 5. We know that no one who has been born of God sins. Again, he's saying, no one who has been born of God, no one, is who, no one who is reconnected with God continues in disconnection. Right? Continuing, but he who was born of God keeps him, Jesus, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. That is the true God and eternal life. And he says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. An idol is a false representation of God. You could say it's a false understanding of God. You could also say it's an incorrect approach towards God. But what does he say here in verse 19? We know that we are of God, meaning we are participating with God. And he says, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When you are apart from God, you are under the power of the evil one, the power of the kingdom of darkness and the principalities of the spiritual heavenly realms of darkness. So the chains we are in are not intellectual, are not just our emotions. And if we just kill our emotions and become cool and calculated and rational, we can beat this thing. No, there's a power that even works through something deeper than our rationality. It's the power of the evil one. We are chained to this rhythm it's a rhythm so deep i don't know if i play drums and like if you sit and listen to a song you almost don't hear the drums and there's a rhythm section right there's the bass the drums guitar and keyboard can be rhythm instruments but they're brighter and tend to be more the focal but usually you're listening to the singing but like think about the drums and the bass especially like I i usually the bass guitarist is right next to me i play drums in worship band like I, I can't always hear the bass but i can feel it right There's a deeper rhythm to the power of the evil one and the system he's created that we are a part of and that we're enslaved to. We're chained to. We don't always recognize it. If we simply take a surface approach with our rationality and survey the landscape and go, well, everything looks like this and God says to do that and I just need to make better choices and I need to stop being so emotional and stop following these impulses and I just got to try harder. Like if that's our approach, we don't understand there's this deeper rhythm we're chained to and we have no way of really overcoming it. And so we may think, well, I just need better truth. I need to just try harder. And we spend our whole lives trying harder and working harder at trying to know God's truth and do God's truth. But all the while, we're under the power of the evil one, and the whole world. The whole the the term world here refers to an ordered system. Satan has his ordered system. That's where we start. This is why we need saved. This is what we need saved from. An ordered system it entails ideas, thoughts. Beliefs about what makes life good, but the power of it is deeper there's a power to satan's truths it's the power of the evil one. there is this deeper rhythm to life that continues to pull us towards what is not good and it's not it's deeper than our understanding. It really is more a felt sense of things you know when we tend to do bad things or it tends to be more impulsive and so I think Augustine was correct he's like yeah we seem we seem to have these deeper dark impulses but he's false in thinking that through our intellect we can overcome them what we can do is create a false sense of having overcome them but bam they come right back and get us in these times because we're not truly protected from them right? that's First John oh, the whole world is under the power of the evil one it's a power deeper than we can even consciously connect with and, and understand um, sorry, I'm looking back up, back up, back up. Here we go, Romans chapter 3. So Paul's talking about Jews and Greeks. He's talking about how they've been kind of all brought together in Christ. But he goes on this long, long list. Uh, this is verses from the Old Testament. And he's just kind of listing this these verses and he's kind of expressing this idea. He says, as it is written, this is verse 10, Romans chapter 3. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their paths, and they have not known the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Listen to that. He says, no one's righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. Everyone is turned aside. He's including himself in this, by the way. He's saying, in our our base condition apart from God, there's nothing in us that is good. There's no understanding that can lead us to God. We don't even want to seek God. God." And this is what Romans chapter 8 says. It says, the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. But it says the, the one who has the mindset on the flesh can, cannot even understand the things of God because they don't have the spirit. Paul's kind of saying the same thing. And of course, this is Romans 3 and, and he's getting to that, you know, five chapters later. This That's kind of the culmination of this beginning thought. He's like, everybody, their throats, are, you know, it's this long list. The When we're in the condition of the power of the evil one in this system... It's like our throat's an open grave. Our tongues are deceiving. Our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in our path. We don't know the way of peace. We don't have the fear of God. What's the fear of God? The fear of God is having this sense of awe, this connection where you feel the heart of God, where you have a sense of God with you, and you have a a sober-mindedness to know that you're walking with God, and God is enlivening you and leading you and empowering you. Right? And then verse 21, picking back up Romans three. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. But it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Right? Like we it comes simply. It's not an understanding, but it's a belief through faith. Like just I believe that Jesus can't set me free. Right? Sorry, I'm trying to skip forward. Yeah, here we go. This is if, oh, sorry. This is Ephesians, Paul in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself; it is the gift of God, not a, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that previously you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel. But now you've been brought back to Christ, right? But look, he says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not through works. Look, look the intellect, our intelligence, our rational, it's a work. We can think through things. We can figure out what's right. We can figure out what to do. We can come up with the we can see the problem and we can come up with the solution. And then our concept and within Christianity, when you blend faith and reason is, well, God, I now I know what's wrong. And so um, maybe I'm gonna ask you to help me fix this. But what I'm still I'm telling you what's wrong, and I'm telling you what to do, and I'm asking you to do what I want. That's not that's the flesh still in charge. That's not God leading the way. Like, we're not, we've not really been brought back to God and his process and his kingdom. His kingdom is you don't know what's wrong. You can't see what's wrong and you can't do anything about it. You're under a power, the power of the evil one and you can do nothing about it. We're chained to this rhythm. We can't even see the chains. We can't even see them until God begins to show them and so before we can even come back to God, practically in terms of living like God wants, we have to come back to God and just cry out and say, God, I just—I I can't do anything. I, I can't beat this thing that's beating me. I'm helpless. Right. this is the penitent sinner before the cross saying, Jesus save me I don't even know what's wrong, I can't even see it, it's so it's, I just know it though, I feel it like I can't even explain it I've tried to figure it out, I'm just done trying to figure it out it's beyond me and Jesus is like, yes if you could have figured it out and asked God to intervene through your own sense of things I wouldn't have, would not have needed to come You need the Spirit. But the Spirit is the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of unity, right? Because the Spirit unifies us with God and leads us into truth. But before you have the Spirit, you can't figure anything out and you can't do anything about your condition other than cry out to Jesus for help. Concerning the idea that we are free to exercise our will in and of ourselves, it's untrue course we have to choose to come back to God but it's the kind of choice that's like I made out of desperation because we're so despondent and we've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to do what's right and be good people and we're and we fail and we fail and we fail we're like what is going on God even as a Christian I've read your scriptures I know your truth I've heard the sermons I know the theology I've read so many books and yet I still fail in the most basic sense to be a good person and God I'm I'm done I just I'm at the end of myself and God's like finally we're ready to do something here the real work my work which only comes at when we're at the end of our work and our ability to do anything to know anything to think anything to reason it out figure it out and solve it the more we enter into life with God the more free our will becomes but it's only free as it is chained to a new rhythm <laughs> that's the thing it's, like, it's not being free of a rhythm it's being chained to the right rhythm because Adam and Eve were created in the garden to be subservient and dependent on God that's why they walked with God in the cool of the day Jesus clearly as the creator of the physical universe empowers us to have the ability and authority over the earth but it's not disconnected from him He imbues us with his power, but it's not separate from the need for God, the Spirit, the Father, and the Son to guide us. That's why we're, as Christians, we're discipled and then we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The character of. Each of these three personalities of the Trinity inhabit different characteristics. God the Father is in charge of the kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's the kingdom of God, which means he knows how everything works. And if we want to understand how the world is meant to work, we come to the Father and we say, God, show me, revelation. God, show me how this works. I thought it worked this way, but it, it's not working. And God's like, damn straight, because you're still under the power of the evil one and you've oriented yourself towards his system. So the first thing we do is like, God, I just—I—I I feel like there's just things I can't be, I can't understand this system. And God's like, that's right. Now I'm going to start to teach you about my system. Jesus has the power of, of the, and the authority that we need to be able to step into God's paradigm his kingdom and then the spirit is the spirit of truth it says he's like a sharp sword he pierces through things he pierces the darkness he shows us the truth of things he says this is what's going on this is why, why you're stuck this is the very thing that's holding you back and you're like it's an aha moment it's a light bulb it's an epiphany where the spirit just says this is what's wrong and we're like oh I, and I mean so many times when the spirit has revealed things to me that I was struggling with and I could only sense it through a, a more emotive, intuitive process. But finally, the Spirit's like, this is what's going on. And it's like, bam, light bulb. Oh, yes, of course. And then, Jesus, give me power because in this way, I was more bound to Satan's system. And then God, Jesus comes in and is like, yes, through the cross, I've crucified the flesh, which is, I, you thought you could do it yourself. And now I give you my power. And then we're like, okay, God, show me the the replacement of this way of living that is more akin to your way of living. Do you see how all that works? Nothing in that process is, I thought about it, I figured it out, I understand it, and and maybe I'll invite God to help me, maybe not, depending on how, if I can do it by myself. <laughs> That's not the process. The rhythm we are in is the reality that we are either chained to one kingdom or another and we are either empowered by one kingdom or another because these kingdoms, these spiritual kingdoms of the air, of the heavenly realms, of the spiritual reality, their power is too great for us to defeat in our own power. God made us a little lower than the angels which means we don't have the will to beat these higher wills. We are chained to the power of the kingdoms of the air, either gods or satans. Doesn't matter how smart we are, how much we figured out, how much Christian truth we know, how much Bible we know. The base reality is that these kingdoms can use anything to their advantage to empower us towards good or evil, towards darkness or light, towards death or life. The first thing we have to do is recognize that there's nothing we can do. We're not free. Not in the slightest. We're just just Free enough to recognize we're not free and that we need God. But even that takes God's help. Dang, man, do you see the chains? Or the rhythm we're chained to? And the chains that need to be broken and how we're incapable of doing it? It's not just if we were smarter and less emotional. That's that's absurd. It's actually through our more emotive process that we intuit what's going on as the spirit reveals, right? So, and, and like, Augustine kind of pits the mind against the emotions, but actually God gave us both, right? And So, as we come back to God, he begins to order our mind and emotions, and everything else, more akin to him. And so then, the kingdom can make sense to us, but we don't get to it by making sense of it. It only makes sense after the fact, because the rhythm we're chained to isn't sensible, it's not logical. Satan doesn't use logic to enforce and enact his kingdom. And God doesn't use logic either. They both say, do what I say. And they both have their power to manipulate or to coerce or to woo or to invigorate their kingdoms and the people trapped in their kingdoms. Satan's power is fear. God's power is love, in essence. I have felt the power of the kingdom of darkness. I have the gift of spiritual discernment. And I've been through this process of God revealing deeper and deeper and deeper the reality of that kingdom and its power Time and time and time again when I've been confronted by the power of the kingdom of darkness. The only thing I could do in the midst of those experiences was cry out and say, God, I, I can't do anything to beat this. I, so oppressive. It's like literally in my mind, my heart, or my body. It's just something that's so overwhelming. And every ounce of will in me is saying, I can't even begin to do anything to get this away from me, to get out of this. So oppressive. And so God's like, yes, yes cry out to me and bam, you're fine. I can, Jesus overcame all of these things already. Why don't we walk and live in the power of the cross and the kingdom of God? Because we're still being empowered by Satan's lie, which is you don't need any powers. You're powerful enough on your own. We can spend a long time trying to do things in our own power, failing time after time after time. But the worst thing is that we never figure out we're involved in skirmishes that don't matter and don't have really any effect in the spiritual reality of these two kingdoms. We're still enslaved to Satan. And most of the time, Satan will leave us to wander on auxiliary paths that don't do anything for God's kingdom, even if we're Christian. He'll let us just wander and run in circles and our own thoughts, thinking we're doing things. And look at all the, the busy activity. I'm, and I've, I've done all these things or given all these things and accomplished all these things. And there's so many things we can do that just mean nothing to God or Satan. So we're trapped in the darkness of our own understanding, which is what Scripture says. Before we came to Christ, we were darkened in our understanding. So our understanding was just leading us in circles. And Satan's like, it's fine, I'm not going to even mess with them too much because I like where they're at. Yeah, they go to church every Sunday, they give their money, but they're running in circles in their own power. Still chained to the rhythm of my kingdom. So still under the power of my system. Because only God can set us free don't believe the lie. We don't have free will. We do have a will. It's not free, but we do have the choice. Our choice, first and foremost, before we come to God, is to simply cry out to God for help. After that, we begin to have more choices, and our will gets to be a lot more free, and that's what we're going to talk about in the following episodes. I'm not anti-theology, anti-logic, anti-reason. God has given us a mind, God has given us an intellect for a purpose. We're just using it for the wrong purpose. It's not the thing that gets us to God. We don't come to God through reason. We don't overcome the kingdom of darkness through logic and our own sense of things. Why? Because our will isn't powerful enough. It's literally what scripture says. Angels are more powerful than us. And they see more than us, right? Man, they they see in us, they see everything. Satan knows how to use every weakness in you against you. Only the Spirit can reveal the truth of the things you're in. And only Jesus can provide the power to, even in the midst of your weakness, give you strength. Right? Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's absurd unless you understand the principality of the powers of the air and the rhythms that we're chained to. The reason that weakness leads to strength is when we cry out and say, I'm too weak. God says, but I'm not, and I'll give you the power. That's it. Right? And then, like, God begins to even enlighten our understanding and reason and intellect. And it's a useful tool. You know what the rational center and the intellect is good at? It's good at constructing truth in a way that makes sense so we can communicate things to people. But we can't fall into the trap that our ability to understand and communicate truths actually delivers us to truth or out of the powers of Satan and into the power of God. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall. Or you can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. Hey, guys. Seek God. He is everything. He can deliver you from anything. He can empower you. He is the one that sets us free. Amen.